0: Welcome back to the Just for Your Bad Self podcast, where you are enough just the way you are. I'm your host, Kimber Dutton, a recovering people pleaser and perfectionist who is on a mission to normalize the human experience in all of its messy imperfection. Join me as I explore what it means to feel worthy of love, to live wholeheartedly, and to lead an authentic life. And today I'm going to be talking to you about the idea of being a rescuer. And I'm going to start out by reading a Zen story that I heard a lot growing up and I've thought a lot about and I'm As I get older, I've started thinking about this story a little differently. So here it is. Once upon a time, in a temple nestled in the misty end of South Hill, lived a pair of monks, one old and one young. This is how a lot of Zen stories start, two monks. What are the differences between heaven and hell? The young monk asked the learned master one day. "'There are no material differences,' replied the old monk peacefully. "'None at all?' asked the confused young monk. "'Yes, both heaven and hell look the same. "'They all have a dining hall with a big hot pot in the center "'in which some delicious noodles are boiled, giving off an appetizing scent,' said our old priest." The size of the pan and the number of people sitting around the pot are the same in both places, heaven and hell. But oddly, each diner is given a pair of meter-long chopsticks. For us Americans, that's about three feet. <laughs> it's really close to a yard. Each, each diner is given a pair of meter-long chopsticks and must use them to eat the noodles. And to eat the noodles, one must hold the chopsticks properly at their ends. No cheating is allowed. The Zen master went on to describe to our young monk. In the case of hell, people are always starved because no matter how hard they try, they fail to get the noodles into their mouths, said the old priest. But, but isn't it the same happens to the people in heaven? The junior monk questioned. And, the, and this is the, like the parable of the story. The old monk says, no, they can eat with these meter-long chopsticks because they each feed the person sitting opposite them at the table. You see, that is the difference between heaven and hell explained the old monk. So the parable of this story is to serve each other, right? In heaven, everybody's happy because we serve each other. In hell, everyone is starving because we've got these meter long chopsticks and no one can feed themselves with it. And, we're, and in hell, everyone's selfish trying to feed themselves. So everyone starves because they can't eat. And I I heard this story growing up and I thought a lot about it and I think that's the story that all of us are handed in, at least in in our culture and in a lot of cultures, that good people serve each other and are always in service of the other and selfish people are serving themselves and that's bad, right? Serving yourself is bad, serving other people is good. But I think we've entered this time where people are starting to realize that if you are always, always, always giving to other people, then your own cup doesn't get filled, right? And and our whole identities are based in this idea that we are only good if we are serving others. And we kind of become, our our identity gets lost in the service to others. And I think especially... I don't know. Probably men and women can relate to this. But as a woman, I know that I was conditioned to believe good women serve their children. They serve their husbands. They serve their communities. They serve their parents. If you are a good woman, you are always in the service of other people. Um, And you're always sacrificing of yourself for others. And now that I've been in Working with so many women at these retreats, most of us have in common that we feel so a exhausted, but completely. We have a lot of guilt around the idea of rest and rejuvenation. We feel guilty because we're supposed to be serving others. If we're not serving others, then we're being selfish, and that's what people in hell do. Uh, and so we we're exhausted. We feel very unseen. A lot of women. I've heard them say, like, I don't even know who I am anymore. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are constantly giving of ourselves to others. And if we're not doing that, we feel like we're bad people. So it feels sometimes like we've got this false dichotomy between be a good person and by being... You can be a good person by losing your identity completely. And if you have your own identity then you're a bad person. And I really like this new narrative that's coming out. I've heard it a few times this week now where people say, I am not selfish, I am self-full. You cannot pour from an empty cup. So you have to fill your own cup first. You have to be self-full and then you can give of the overflow. What's in the cup is mine. Anything that comes out of the cup, I can give to others. But first, I need to fill my own cup. I have said it before and I will say it again and again that I think that the greatest gift we can give to other people is by taking responsibility for our own happiness. I hopped off a phone call with my mom today and we had a really long conversation about how so many of us are raised to believe that our purpose in life is to serve other people and how how exhausting that is and how identical, how you you lose your identity so easily in that. And we were talking about how as the child of someone who is that way, it's also exhausting to be the person who is raised by someone who is always giving to others, but in return, their cup, their cup becomes empty. And so they expect you to reciprocate by filling their empty cup. And so we're all just filling each other's empty cups and there is no overflow and we're all exhausted. Whereas if we could if we can take charge of our own happiness, take charge of filling our own cups and give from the overflow, I think the world would just be a better place. I even it's hard as a mother to really adopt this philosophy because everything we are taught is serve your kids, you know, make your kids happy, teach them, you know, all the all these things and I try and tell myself a lot. I care about my kids' happiness. I want my kids to be happy, but ultimately their happiness is their responsibility. And if I step in and teach them that their happiness in is my responsibility, it's my job to make them happy, I'm actually disempowering them by becoming this savior figure. I'm teaching them, you can only be happy if someone else rescues you. And that's not what I want my kids to learn. I want my kids to be empowered and know that their own choices are the most important thing, that their own decisions to be happy are the most important thing, and that it's not someone else's job to come rescue them just like it is not their job to go rescue everybody else. I think the ultimate takeaway is we don't want to just rescue each other. That's disempowering. Instead, we need to move the focus to empowering each other. Okay, I do have one more thought. I think the entire system of patriarchy was built on this premise that we have to rescue each other and it hurts both of us it, it hurts all genders right it hurts it hurts men and women in that it says these are the roles you have to fill and these are the ways we have to rescue each other and it hurts people who don't fit into the gender binary because there is no place for them in a system of patriarchy patriarchy says women you are here to rescue everyone in this way you are going to be in charge of rescuing everybody with by keeping a house clean, by feeding everybody, by pleasing men sexually. Men, this is the, this is the narrative I think we're fed. Men can't do this stuff on their own. That's not how they were built. They, so you need to rescue them. This is your integral nature is to be nurturing and you have to rescue the men by nurturing them. And then it tells the men You have to rescue the women by being their physical protectors and by being the breadwinners and making money and supporting them financially and be strong and don't cry because this is how men are and this is how you were built to rescue women. And so we're kind of set up in this way where our society, if we stick with patriarchy, can only exist if we are constantly rescuing each other. And what we're doing is disempowering each other and teaching everybody that you cannot be happy and live a successful, flourishing life until you, unless you have someone else rescuing you in these specific ways. And I think that is a disempowering narrative. And I think the, I think if we can lean into this idea that I'm not here in my marriage, I'm not here to rescue my husband I'm, I, and I don't, I don't want him to feel like he has to rescue me either. And in my own marriage, it's been really, oh, it's been a tricky space to navigate because there aren't a lot of role models for relationships that don't include this rescue each other codependent narrative. And I, I am done with that narrative. (laughs) But it's really hard to step into this other one because there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of modeling for it. But I think what needs to happen in our society, in our relationships, that we need to start saying, you know what? I got me. I've got my own back. I would love your support and help, but I don't need you to live a good life. That's on me. That's my job. And in the same vein, I am not here to make sure that your life is happy all the time and perfect. That's on you. I would love to support you. Again, I care about your happiness. I love you. I want you to lead your biggest, happiest, most successful life, but that is not my responsibility. I'm, I'm here to cheer you on and get excited with you, but but your life, your dreams, your job. These are the things I like to do. These are the things you like to do. Here are the things that need to get done that neither of us like to do. So instead of just assuming that we have these gender roles and I have to cook and clean and you have to have a job, let's talk it out and figure out some solutions that that don't just lean into this narrative that we've been handed. I had another thought that just went out of my mind. Oh, I remember. So I'm going to share with you guys a dream that i had a few months ago i don't most of my dreams are just normal silly you know my brain's processing processing things dreams but every once in a while i will have a dream that feels significant and that i know means more than what it what it looked like on the surface so i had this dream that i was in a house wasn't my house i it was my house in the dream but it wasn't my house in real life you know how that goes so i i was in this house i was walking into this room in the basement and i saw two snakes on the floor a really big snake and a really little snake and i i screamed because i was scared my husband came running down and you need to know this this is important i think about the dream my husband hates snakes. He hates snakes. He will not even go into like the reptile house of a, of a zoo when they're in tanks because he just, he hates them. He doesn't want to look at them. He really wishes they didn't exist at all. So I feel like that's significant. So my husband came running into the room, sees me panicking. It it actually looked like the snakes were dead. They were just laying there. And so he picked one up. He picked the little one up to throw it out and it wasn't dead, and it flipped around and bit him, and I panicked more. I ran to go get some scissors, because that's the only thing I could think of to kill a snake in my dream. Ran back downstairs, and Elliot had already found a pair of scissors and had tried to cut the snake. And the snake was still alive, attached to his arm, but the scissors were covered in blood, and they were broken in half. Um, and the big snake was still on the floor. and And then I woke up. That was the whole dream. And it seemed super significant to me. So I I got in touch with my friend Tara, who is a life coach, but she's also, she's kind of like a shaman type. She's a visionary, super intuitive human. And I've witnessed her magic before. And I thought, Tara could help me with this. So I contacted Tara. I said, do you do dream interpretations? She said, yes, I do. I said, great. I've had this dream. I want to have a session with you. And I thought what she was going to do was I would tell her the dream and then she would tell me what it meant. And that's not what happened actually happened. She said, I don't want you to tell me about the dream. She said, I want you to tell me maybe the big symbols of the dream, but we're not going to interpret it right now or I'm not going to interpret it for you. And and what she did was she she helped me get into a little bit of a, a hypnotic state. And then she had me, she would ask me questions and I would answer as the different symbols in this dream. And um, I'm not going to go through, it will take too much time to go through the whole dream, but there is a part that I think is going to tie back into this whole idea of being the rescuer versus being the empower and all these things I've been talking about. So yeah, there's big symbolism in all of the things that happen in this dream. But the important part that I want to talk about is the scissors in this dream. Because she, when she was asking me questions and I was answering from the point of view of the scissors, she asked like, why are you here? And I answered, I don't have a purpose. I'm I'm, I'm whatever people make of me. And I am a tool of, creation, but sometimes people use me as a tool for destruction. And anyways, I don't remember all of this because I was in this hypnotic state. But when I came out of it, we talked about it. And when we got to the scissors part, she was asking me like, what do you think the scissors represent? What do you think of this? And at first I was like, I don't know. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized, I think the scissors represent marriage. And the scissors in this dream, this is significant. The snakes, you need to at least know this part, the snakes both represented different parts of me. And so it's super symbolic in this dream that these scissors were used to cut the snake. But instead of killing the snake, the scissors actually broke apart. And what I took from that is that, and it fits so well with the way I was raised to with what I was raised to believe, which is that when you get married, you to be a good wife requires that you sacrifice of yourself and that you cut off any parts of yourself that don't fit into this institution of marriage that you've been taught is the right way to fit into this institution, right? (laughs) So I was always taught, A, that marriage is like, that the be all end all goal that I should have was to be a wife and that to be a good wife meant to support my husband's dreams meant to cook clean you know please sexually and cut off any parts of myself that made it so that I couldn't be a good wife and so it was really interesting in this dream that the scissors when I had this interpretation the scissors spoke up and said I- I I wasn't meant to be a, a tool. I wasn't made to destroy things. If you think about it, scissors can destroy things, but the whole reason they were invented was to create things. And so when it comes to marriage, I've talked to my husband about this. It's like, okay, maybe I don't have to cut off parts of myself to fit in this marriage. Maybe we can be in a relationship that creates something better than what we could be by ourselves. And I don't know if this is a mind-blowing concept to any of the rest of you, but it was to me <laughs> because I was so convinced that to fit in a marriage meant we both sacrifice ourselves to make the marriage work. And so it was a complete paradigm shift for me to think, what if the marriage is here to help support us in our whole? What if What if we can use our marriage as a tool to support who we are and to support each other instead of expecting the other person to change and cut off parts of themselves for the sake of the marriage. I wanna take a second here to mention that if you are relating with what I'm saying, if you feel like you have cut off parts of yourself in order to fit in a relationship, whether that's with your family, within your marriage, within your community, if you feel like you have cut off parts of yourself to fit into this box of other people's expectation, I invite you to come join me in my 12-week program I'm offering called The Void. I have a dream of holding space for people in a place where there are no outside expectations, where we can really dive into your shadows, bring them out into the light, reclaim the lost parts of yourself, and leave behind the things that no longer serve you. The void is a place of creation, a place of discovery, a place of rest and rejuvenation. And that is what I'm offering you in this 12-week program. It will include one-on-one work with me, group community support. I'm bringing in some other fun, guests and surprises and resources that I'm excited to share with everybody who signs up for this program. If this sounds like something you are interested in, or even if you've just been listening to my podcast for a while and have wanted a chance to work with me, this is your chance. This is all going to be based online. Go ahead and head to kimberdutton.com where you can book a free discovery call with me, or you can email me directly at Kimber at kimberdutton.com and i am more than happy to send you more information or an application i'm only accepting 12 people into this program and spots are filling up if you're even slightly interested reach out to me let's schedule a call and i'd love to have a chat i'd love the chance to get to work with you and help you reclaim yourself so to wrap it up I think that rather than envisioning a heaven and a hell where we all have these three foot long chopsticks and that we are spending all of our focus and energy trying to figure out how the hell to pick up food with three foot long chopsticks when chopsticks are hard enough to hold to begin with, and then to feed other people with it. And if you're like me, you're dropping food all over them, you're feeding them the wrong food that they didn't want anyways. And you're also trying to eat something that someone else is trying to feed you and spilling it all over while you're feeding the person across the table from you with these three foot long chopsticks. That doesn't sound like a heaven that I want to go to. The heaven I want to go to Honestly, probably doesn't really involve chopsticks because I don't love chopsticks. But if it did, we would all have our own beautiful pair of chopsticks or whatever utensil fit our personalities and our needs the best. And we would be able to feed ourselves the food that we liked. And then guess what happens when you aren't trying to focus on feeding someone else and eating at the same time and making a big mess of everything? Then you actually get just enjoy each other's company worry about your own issues make sure you've got your own back taking care of yourself and then cheer each other on if someone's having a hard time using their chopsticks help them out you don't have to feed them you don't have to feed them they can feed themselves they might just need a little help and that is the takeaway i wanted to leave you with today is use your own chopsticks What a gift to other people if they don't have to worry about feeding you with three foot long chopsticks and you are not worried about feeding other people with three foot long chopsticks. Thank you so much to all of you who have reached out to tell me how much this podcast means to you. Knowing that there are actually people out there who listen to and enjoy this podcast quite literally keeps me going on the days that this gets hard. If you'd like to leave a review, you can do that via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or go to justbeyourbadself.com reviews and click the button that says rate show. Thanks for listening today. Remember, you are enough right now in this moment. That's it from me. Now, just be your bad self.